Hey there, welcome to Book Pints. My name is Scott and I'll be your host. The concept here is pretty simple. I sit down with one of my friends, we have a beverage or two, and we talk about a book. For this episode, I sat down with my friend Howard. We enjoyed a few six-point jammers and talked about The Buried Giant by Kazuo Ishiguro. All the links and things should be in the description, and you can also go to bookpints.com for more information. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott Lindrup. And don't forget to subscribe. Now, consume. What are we drinking? Uh, I brought the six-point jammer, which is a Goso. Style beer? Gosa? What is Gosa style beer? I only got into it recently. It's kind of a sour beer. Uh, it usually has a little salinity to it. Um, I don't know how you feel about so- sour beers, but I like sour beers. Well, I, guess, when it's hot out. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. yeah. It's sour. <laughs> it's definitely sour. Yeah. I, I went to a Lambic tasting a few years ago. Uh, it was a hot, like, humid day like it is right now. It was like the perfect beer for. I I get that. That's it's like a it's a barbecue beer. It's exa- it's it tastes better than the crap that you usually drink at barbecues, but it's got that same sort of. You know, it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's not Bud Light or Miller Light or whatever it is. Right. It's got more character than like it's, it like, actually like tastes like something. Right. Um, and uh, so yeah, so I like these especially on days like today. Yeah. All right. So what book are we talking about? Uh, Berry Giant. And you don't have a copy of it because you left it in Dubai. Abu Dhabi, actually. Abu Dhabi, sorry. I, uh, I gave it to a friend, yes. So I don't have a copy in front of me. Likely story. Have you read other Ishiguro stuff? Uh, yeah. The first one I read was uh, Never Let Me Go. I probably told you this before, but I remember when I was reading it, I was enjoying it, but I was as I was reading it, I kept like waiting for the story to happen. Yeah. And then I got to the end, I just started weeping. Like It just kind of snuck up on me. Right. I was actually just recently reading a review of The Buried Giant, and one guy was complaining about that, about this book. That's what he did so well. Well, I I, I, never I read let me some go. reviews also, and one of the things that I read, which I agreed with, is that it worked and never let me go, and also Remains of the Day, which is the other book of his I've read. For me, it didn't work in this book. I I, I don't want to give away the ending. I don't know if you want to do that, but you know, by well, the end, yeah, anybody. If there's no there's spoilers, yeah, there's right. going to be spoilers. So at sure. the end, where the, we read where, the book, where the wife goes across without. The if we husband. didn't do spoilers. No one would believe we read right. the book. Right, fair enough. We could right. be making anything up. We could just yeah. Right. So when the wife goes across without the husband, I think it's supposed to be like one of those moments. But for me, it didn't work because I didn't really feel yeah. them, anything about them as characters. They weren't characters to me. That's kind of my whole problem with the book. There is, yeah, okay. So, so already we're we're starting off with the we've got problems with the book, right? I have problems. You haven't said that yet. Yeah. Well, I I would agree with that. Okay. And it's not that it's. I don't think it's terrible by any means. I think it's the problem is was consistency to me. Like it wasn't. He didn't consistently do. A theme like it never let me go. It was this consistent, almost bland. This is day to day life, mm-hmm. and this was not that. This had that whole memory stick, like we forget everything. But sometimes he used it fine. Other times he just ignored it, and like oh, they have memories back to you know before the war and all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't. It just wasn't consistent throughout. So you never got that sense. So when you get to the end, there's no. It's not a punch in the gut because you. Whether you saw it coming or not, it just doesn't hurt very much. Right. You know, with Never Let Me Go, the simplicity kind of serves the story like a, so that, like you said, it's kind of like this this gut punch at the end. Or in this, where I, I felt like the simplicity, he was trying, since it was written like a fable or an allegory or something, right. like he was trying almost too hard to make it simple and ended up just kind of making it so simple that there wasn't anything there. Yeah. And I, I mean, the idea of it being a fable or something like that, um, obviously not unheard of. Um, but it's, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't seem necessary to make it mm-hmm. 
a a fable. And even if he was, he didn't. I don't think he did it to an extent that made it like enjoyable, successful, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because it, it was. I mean, I've read a lot of Arthurian stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So there what, but there weren't even those clues for the the nerd like me. There were a few things in there. Well, that's what I was going to ask you because I had a suspicion that you knew more about this <laughs> Arthurian stuff than I do. Um, is, Are you saying I'm a nerd? Are you saying I'm, I'm some a, sort of... You're a nerd in that particular way. That particular We're both way. nerds, but... This is true. That's that's a nerd way that you are that I'm not. Though, one thing I wanted to talk about was the dragon, because I am kind of a nerd for literary dragons. And the dragon in this, I was a little confused by. I mean, I don't know, because there's a lot of stuff about King Arthur and... Yeah. Is it Sir Gawain? Or Sir Gawain, Gawain yeah. Or however you pronounce Gawain, it. Gawain. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, so I wanted to ask you, is Axel, the, the, the guy that he turns out to be, the Arthurian knight, is yeah. that like a character? There, there isn't, to my knowledge, a knight of the round table named Axel. He could represent a number of different things or a composite of, of different ones. Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is obviously one you're going you're gonna to reference here. A Green Knight comes to the Arthurian court and challenges Arthur. So Arthur sends his knight, Gawain. But that is actually... A- Arthurian tale. That's an Arthurian tale, but there isn't. I was trying to think of which knight would be like the diplomatic knight because they kept referencing that. And the one I, who suggested not murdering everybody, right? Which I don't know. I like to think that it's Lancelot and Guinevere. Hmm. Axel's Lancelot because he keeps calling her princess. So that's, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. And, and that was that was my initial thought when I when I first when he, when he's calling her princess. I'm knowing that it was about Arthurian sort of time. I immediately was like, okay, she's got to be Guinevere, hmm. and we're going to see that. There was, but there wasn't enough to really pull that. The end, he's like, oh, and you betrayed everybody. I don't uh, know. I don't know. Now, I did think actually that Sir Gawain was the only character in the book that was actually like a character. I thought he actually had some kind of yeah development, you know, because he's kind of presented first as this big oversized, like Don Quixote kind of right. past his prime, but then he has these kind of hidden motivations and depth. That was, I thought it worked really well. I thought that was a missed opportunity, the whole Don Quixote, because he you basically drew him in the novel as Don Quixote. It sounds like it. you describe him and he, he's got his horse and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then if you could kind of play off of that and break that mold in some way, that would have been... That, I think that would have been interesting. Whereas like Wiston, the, the warrior... Right. Well, uh, just, yeah, just kind of generic knight number five. And he sort of changes. He, he like at first he's kind of a nice guy and he's here to help everybody, and then he's like, hate the Britons forever. What? Where did that come from? Yeah, and the kid, I, I really had no feel for the kid at all. No, the, the the young boy. Yeah, that that was, and he became so important. Yeah, and then at the end, he was unimportant. He was the guy that was going to lead them to the dragon. Well, he kind of did, he, but he only led. And the other ones, they stumbled upon it, and then the goat. I thought about this, too. A lot of these tales of, like, you know, mystical creatures and stuff, they always have the sort of all these little happenstances, these circumstances that just pop up and that make the whole thing work, makes right, the whole yeah. makes yeah. the whole story work correctly if this one thing happens. And there were a ton of these, but they were completely meaningless, <laughs> right? Yep. Like the goat thing. Well, I don't remember the goat. Uh, because they had the poison goat. Oh, and yes, they yeah, take yeah, it up. yeah, yeah, from the, the, the young yeah. family. Yeah, what's the point of the poison goat? Yeah. Why? Yeah, I can't answer that question. That's a qu- that's. There's a lot of questions you can't really answer. Um, I did like the the kind of build up to the battle between Wiston and Gowan. I thought that was the only time where I was like, okay, I'm not sure which way this is going to go. Again, a missed opportunity. Because we saw both of them fight, and you were not surprised that Wiston was good. 
Right. You were, you were built up to believe that. I think if they would have heightened that and made it not just one guy, but three guys, and he dispatches them with ease. Now you've got him as the super powerful warrior. And then Gawain, you think, oh, he's old. And then in the, the caves, he kills the, right. the beast or whatever. Um, again, you missed opportunity. Like it should have been, you thought, you know, I wanted to see him old and creaky at that moment and draw that out. That way, then their final confrontation is, is just more exciting. At the end. Right, because it, it, it may seem more one-sided than it is. And right, because there's in my mind, there was no doubt, honestly. Oh, really? Yeah. First of all, how's the, how's, how's the novel end if if Gawain wins? Who would, who also, we discover, is now the protector of Quarig. Right. So we've I mean, got this whole thing. Yeah, that was like, I, I got the impression that was supposed to be like, a you know, this shocking twist almost. Yeah. Um, but it was just, to your point before, it was like, that's just another thing that happens. Yeah, it's, it, that's what it felt like. It's just another thing that happens. Now, so just you can't help but compare this to let, Never Let Me Go, just stylistically. Absolutely. Yep. In Never Let Me Go, there were a ton of those moments, but they all paid off in the end. All of those were foreshadowing. Everything had a meaning. Or they were building the characters, the main characters, even if they were just observing other people. It was all about developing them as characters. All of those little vignettes or whatever were in service of the story or the characters. Yeah. Whereas in uh, Barry Giant, it, they just felt like these weird disconnected things. Yeah. So the, the theme that I like about the book, which really only comes together at the end, in a certain way, the f- forgetting allows for the peace. Right. But it's never going to be an internal peace until we can actually learn to forgive. Right. right. Kind of so a, you have to be able to remember and Right. It's forget. a peace built on false, uh, on lies, basically. Exactly. So So how does that... That's not brought up throughout. Yeah. And you know? after, so afterwards, when I was reading reviews of it, they were also talking about possible like historical uh, parallels that yeah. you can maybe draw. But I don't know enough about British history to be able to, to see that stuff if it's there. I mean, the one that I, I read, there was an article where Ishiguro was talking about um, civil rights and African-Americans in the United States. And that's the buried giant, right? Because we like to forget the civil rights and all the terrible things and we forget try to forget slavery and to a certain extent the country has never dealt with that right. treatment right yeah so that's the buried giant so wait so ishiguro said that yeah i, I there was an article book? about in an interview he was kind of explaining and it's, that's the type of issue that he's talking about oh the type of issue yeah because i mean if this I, was supposed to be a book about racism in the united states that yeah one- it wasn't <laughs> no <laughs> But I think I think he's going at the broader philosophical theme, right? That, that right. there's going to be some shameful history in the in the community's past, right? Exactly. That's a really interesting idea. I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he pulled it off at the end of the book when I started to sort of put together the final. Oh, here's the philosophical underpinnings. I wanted to explore that throughout the rest of the book. Well, that's also interesting. I hadn't really thought about that until you said it. But they talk a lot about how this forgetting is keeping the peace, but. There are all these weird, like, political machinations going on. Yeah. It's yeah. not really a time of peace, per se. When we first get to that first village, it's it's violence, right? Yeah. They're being attacked by ogres. Right. So are we to see the ogres as actual ogres? Well, yeah, or, right, right. I mean, but if we're talking about this as a fairy tale, the ogres represent something else, right? They represent maybe the Celts or something the barbarians of whatever, the things that were not Angles or Saxons. Right, the outsiders. Outsiders, right? That's I mean, that's the common theme in a lot of a lot of these sorts of things, right? So 
and all these things were touched. I mean, it's not a short book. It's no. not a, I mean, it's not a terribly long book, but it's not a terribly short book. I just thought there were so many missed opportunities in there. Um, so, you know, at the beginning, you, you had asked about other Ishiguro books. So the only other one that I've read is uh, Remains of the Day. Right. So very different kind of storytelling. Completely very different. different. setting, obviously. Yep. The same kind of thing where it's, it is a very straightforward story, mm-hmm. um, but there's so much more just like emotion, you know, there's you yeah. know, so much more of a connection to these characters and you feel for them. Than, and I would say Remains of the Day is much more straightforward just in the storytelling. Yep. It is, it, I mean, it's fairly linear sort of thing. There are no flashbacks or anything like that. This book had flashbacks and it jumped around. And, you know, one of the things that sort of threw me because he didn't do it a lot was when they're, when they're walking up the mountain with the donkey and they just start talking about this young girl that was giving them advice. And for like three or four pages, they talk about this young, they reference this young girl and these, and her brothers. And I'm like, who are these people? (laughs) I have no idea. We've just jumped past something. And then he flashback to tell me that part of it, and I it was, I didn't understand why. I didn't get why, because all throughout the rest of the novel, we're supposed to be getting them describing what they're doing and forgetting what right. just happened. Right. Right? They go to the village, and everybody forgot about the whole thing the night before, and they're just going about their business, right. doing the normal thing. That's what we're supposed to get, but now we're getting flashbacks, which is sort of the ultra-fine version of memory. And I just didn't – it was just so inconsistent. Right. So as opposed to if both Never Let Me Go and Remains of the Day where you have these very specifically defined worlds with yeah. rules. I mean, in Remains of the Day, you know, it's this whole, you know, yeah, it's uh, upstairs, upstairs, downstairs, downstairs thing. Downton Abbey, um, whatever it is. Right. And, you know, everybody has their roles that they have to play or feel like they have to play yes. anyway. Um, you know, this has just kind of felt muddled. Yeah. Let me ask then, did you enjoy it? I did not. Um, okay. I, and again, part of this is my own prejudice um but i kept i kept waiting for it to kick in the way that the we're other books did books did for me we're on to beer two number two uh and i'm surprised it took us this long to get to beer two <laughs> that's that's rare it's true and so part of it was i think my own expectations where i said well this is all strange but it must be leading somewhere i was kind of waiting for that after being primed by the other two books for that and when it didn't it kind of soured my my recollections of the whole reading experience and i like yeah. i like parables and i like fables you know absolutely i love the pilgrim's progress like that's the kind of thing that this reminded yeah. me of you know these weird people showing up and telling them these mm-hmm. kind of allegorical stories about fairies and things like yeah. that. yeah at first i was sort of reminded of uh 100 years of solitude I haven't read it. just the journey across to go someplace that you don't really know but you have a vague memory but you, you should definitely read it i mean there are little things like there's I don't remember exactly, but like, you know, some of the little things that happened to them felt like interesting little fairy tales themselves. So like mm-hmm. there's one where there's somebody floating in a boat and like the fairies are trying to pull them down. Um, yeah. That, that kind of stuff. The old woman and yeah, then, yeah. then like, they're I, trying to pull Beatrice. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that kind of stuff where I thought would make neat little short stories, like you know, little things like that. But as part of the whole narrative, I didn't get it. None of them had any sort of weight to them. Right. None of them affected the story such that you thought if I didn't have that I would I would know less. <laughs> right. You know, it's one of the most important things about a novel is not what you find out but how you how you learn it, right? And then compare that to how the characters learn it cuz oftentimes you learn something completely different at a different time than the characters of do. Course, yeah. And you're watching them go through their learning process often with other knowledge. I was just watching Columbo 
If you ever watch Columbo, I love Columbo. Love Columbo, right? You know, you know what happened in the right. beginning, right? Right. It's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. It's but then you watch him go through the process of solving it, and in this, it's like all those all those little things I think were maybe out of order. Like maybe if you put them in a different order, they might be important. But because they where they were like that when they're pulling the the boat scene, right? This is where this is. We've got fairies. We've got all this kind of stuff. I don't know where any of that comes. If that came somehow earlier in the novel, where it introduced sort of the mystical fat element right, and it made right. it dangerous, instead of almost towards the end, right? Because well, because at the beginning when they're talking about this world, it almost seems like there aren't really any of these supernatural elements. Like right. these people are superstitious and they have all of these beliefs, but you think it might just be old timey, yeah. you know, thousand years ago, dark ages kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then this stuff actually happens. There's, there is a dragon and right. there are these weird supernatural figures, I guess. Right. And I mean, I know that all this is on a, on the higher level for us. It's supposed to all be metaphor, but in the book, it has to, it has to be real, right? Right. In the narrative, exactly, right. it has to, it can't be metaphors in the narrative. <laughs> right. 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 It just, it's gotta be a, a real thing. One of the things, I'm sure this was a metaphor for, you know, memory and all this kind of stuff. The candle in the very beginning, when they keep taking her candle away, yeah, and she gets yeah. in a big fight over the candle. Yeah, that... I didn't understand. <laughs> I just, I, I was okay. I, I knew it was supposed to be important, or at least I thought it was, and then nothing. Right, right, yeah. And there was no. Was it even mentioned of, later? I don't think it was. And there's no mention of why it was so important. Right, what she did to get it taken away. I don't yeah. think I got, there was. Yeah. But it was, such a big deal was made over it, like you were saying, that yeah. it seemed like this was going to be a big point. And I think if I were like if I were in college, if I were back in college and I was having to write something on this, I could make up some metaphor. I could link the candle to memory and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Right. It's just not there. It's not – there isn't anything there to really chew on. Right. I enjoyed parts of it, but as a, as a whole, I don't know that I enjoyed it all together. Right. right? Yep. I think the writing is very good. I think there's no doubt that he can put together a sentence, right? But overall, none of it just none of it hung together enough for me to close the book and go, "Huh, I'm I'm gonna have to sit and think about this for a while," right? Well, I I did sit and think about it because I was thinking, you know, did I miss something? What is it? Right. But yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying. When I, when I stop and think about the book and not about the things that the book brought up, that's a problem. Right? right. I didn't sit and think about, oh man, what, what is it that we have to forget so that we can actually, or that we have to forget so that we can live in peace? But if we would really learn to forgive, we would be better off. That's not what I was thinking about. Right. I was right. thinking about what is going, what? <laughs> right. What was I supposed to get out what of this? What was I supposed to get out of this? Why am I missing this? And it made me feel like I was missing something. Yep. So I was, did I, do I have to reread this book? Do you think this is a book that you would have to reread to maybe get more out of it? Is that something we're missing? Well, but then my question is, because it is such a straightforward book, like, I mean, maybe it's deceptive, but in my mind, I'm like, well, what is it that I could have missed? I mean, there's, it seems so, everything is there. I mean, everything is pretty much. Everything is there, right? It's all pretty stark. And that's, the language is very, like, their conversations are very Baroque. Not, well, not Baroque is not the right way to say it. They're very formal. Very formal, very stylized. Yeah, very formal and very stylized. So there could be some ambiguity in that, which is sort of the, that's the fun part about a lot of this sort of Arthurian language and a lot of, have you read Don Quixote? 
I don't think I ever did. No. You know, okay. That style of writing, which of course he wasn't, it wasn't stylized in any sense. He wasn't trying to make an homage to Don Quixote because he was writing Don Quixote. But still, that <laughs> that sort of the way that they over overtell, overemphasize yes. um, formality and those kind of things. And this book did that. And again, a missed opportunity. There were a lot of those little conversations that I thought, oh, there must be something extra here. And then there wasn't. Like right. I would get later on and I'd be like, that conversation was exactly what that was. That's all it was. One thing we haven't talked about at all is the um, the monks, you know the yeah the, the crazy the, monks, the crazy monks. So so first, I felt like I was like playing Diablo or something. <laughs> this crazy monks killing people. So there's the whole thing about right, like the monks leading them into the dungeon and trying to stop all this from happening. Right. And then there's the huge action set piece with the the monks all dying in this burning tower. Yeah, um, I mean, but. None of it was exciting. It was just right. Which again, we didn't get. We didn't get the action. We didn't get to right, see we got it. Somebody telling us about we got it. the memory of it, which is ironic for a book that's all about forgetting. But um, do you think that there's anything there about religion's place in all of this stuff, or is that I, reading too much into it? No, I, d- I don't think that's reading too much into it. I think that's certainly. It's hard to speak of author's intent, right? Sure. I don't know, but I, I from reading and I thought that was not terribly. It wasn't a hidden agenda. Right. It was okay. This is one of those things where. How could you be religious without forgetting all the terrible things that religion has done? Right. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of on the nose, right? And fighting so hard to keep that stuff. Yeah. Exa- exactly. So I certainly think that was that was part of the intended metaphor, but who's to say? Right. You didn't get to see them being good and kind. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, that's all about the the contradiction, right? We didn't get to see enough contradiction. We didn't get to see one thing. I really wanted to see was I wanted to see if Axel was indeed. Lancelot or a knight of the round table or even just a guy that was pretty good at fighting. Yes. We never got to see him. We never got to see him surprise himself. Right. Like all like Matt Damon, born identity style. Right. right? Just kind of vaguely remember that maybe that's something that I did. And then Beatrice, who is such a strong character, Mm -hmm. she becomes a sack of potatoes. They're carrying her everywhere. Yeah. She didn't really play any part in it except to be, you know, Axel's. Yeah. Uh, she went from a driving force to a burden. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is I mean, was that intentional? What are, What am I missing there? Right. Is that like old age? Right. You You go from being in charge to someone having to you know <laughs> feed you feed you baby food or something like that. Right. And they put you in a boat and push you out. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm Axel. I'm hanging with Beatrice. We go to the little cottage. Boatman comes and says, "All right." Yes, I do this. I leave the people there because they don't know each other very well, right? I know the story. Right. And I've, the, the veil of memory loss has just been forgotten, right? Then I meet him again. Okay, I don't recognize him. It was rainy, sure. <laughs> but still, the exact same situation. And I'm going to be like, okay, that's fine. Is that his acceptance of it? I mean, that's... that's Is so, that how you read it? So the very end was also a little unclear because it seems like they do have their story straight. You know, the boatman right. says, okay, you guys passed the test. Right. But I'm going to take her across anyway without mm-hmm. you. And Axel's kind of reluctant at first, but he, he ultimately just thinks yeah. he has no choice in the matter. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll be waiting here. So the on-the-nose version of this that I think is the when one spouse dies, right? right? There's that letting go and you know the, the old adage that one spouse dies and then a week later the other spouse dies because they right. can't live without each other. I think that sort of is what maybe that is getting at, that Axel and the at the end, has to accept a life without Beatrice. Right. Has to let her go because she's suffering. But 
the whole point is she started off almost she had a little hitch in her giddy up at the beginning, right, right. and throughout all this. Now, what is she, what what is killing her? What's dying? That's a really good point about is so if if the whole intent of the story is to get Axel to a place where he is willing to let his wife go, how do all these other elements play into that? Exactly. If that was the intent from the beginning, it lost the trail. Right. Somewhere. <laughs> and then we got... Because I can see how the beginning and the end can be linked with that. I can see how her desire to see her son and him resistant, because that's how it's that's how it's sort of started. Mm-hmm. In their in the weird way, they can't remember why, but she and she wanted to go visit their son right. and maybe move there. Who they're sure is waiting for them. Who they're sure and is a big man in the community. Right, right. Which in the end we find out that he's dead. Right. Spoiler. And he's been dead for a long time. And it was because they had a fight. <laughs> yes. And it's like this is all not just a fight. Yeah. An epic fight. An epic fight. <laughs> yeah. But then how did then he went out and died? How? Yeah. I, I he got know. he got scurvy? Uh, or whatever. He he died of some sort of disease. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, so I can see how her desire to go see her son, who she knows is dead, but maybe dementia setting in, and Axel humors her, and then he finally says, "Okay, we take the journey." She thinks he's alive. I think she. I know he's dead. Maybe that. If you set it up like that, then I can understand. But then the, nothing in the middle serves that. <laughs> right. Or maybe right. it does, and I'm just too dense. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and, you know, with her going off on the boat, maybe she is completing her journey to go see her son. Right. But I, I, just, I like what you said about her going from being a driving force to a burden. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. And that's, and, that is her arc. That's her character arc. That's her character arc. She was, in the beginning, she was the guide. She was saying, and that was the first mention of the buried giant. Right. Was when they were going across the yeah, plane. Yeah, going across the, the plane. Why is that where it comes up? Right. And it's the only time that it really comes up at all. Right. Right, so if you're gonna name, if you're gonna name your novel, and then name it in the book, I just don't. I don't know. I don't. Right. I mean, but yeah, it feels like there do? should be a payoff somewhere. Yeah, it's sort of like when you when you name the song exactly the thing that the song is about. Like you call a song Thriller, and it's got to be Thriller, right? right. It's a, it's got to be exactly <laughs> that. But this was like we're gonna call it the Buried Giant, and throughout there was no giants. There was a dragon. Just mm-hmm. sort of kind of big, but then in the end, it's just lying there and you chop its head off. Right. Right? Uh, there are some ogres, but the one that we see fell in a ditch. Do I we mean, even see one? I don't even remember. With the goats. That's, he ate one of the oh, goats right, and right, then he right, fell in the right, ditch. Right, right, That's the only ogre we see. Uh, we have the dog that an old man chops his head off. There's no giants. Right. Where are the giants and why have they been buried? Right. And, you know, you would think that with this Arthurian fable background that there would be room right. for giants to rise up somewhere. And in, in Arthurian legend, there are giants aplenty, right? There are giant knights. There are all these kind of things. So, okay. So we obviously, we've, we've kvetched about the book <laughs> for, you know, half an hour now or whatever it was. Okay. Um, what did you like about it? Um, I, like I said, I, I, I have liked... to say, as much as, as much as I don't generally like sour things, this I like. Oh, good. I'm going to go for my third. I liked Gowan as a character. I thought, you yeah. know, he was really interesting. Had a whole Falstaff kind of thing going on where he seems to be this big, goofy caricature, but then he has right. these hidden depths. You know, I like the se- I, I like the setting generally. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do like that kind of Arthurian allegorical stuff. Other than that, I, I really can't think of it. So anything. why did you finish reading the book? Why didn't you, <laughs> why didn't you give up? Well, uh, 
short story was I was on a very long flight and I had some time to occupy. Yeah. So I did finish the thing. Also, the other reason I finished it is what I was saying before is my other experience with the Ishiguro books is that they paid off at the right. end. So I said, well, this is all going to pay off. I'm going to keep yeah. reading, of course. That's exactly what I was getting at. Cause that's, because I genuinely liked the ending. I thought the ending taken by itself. Yes. Was, yeah. was well done. And I, it's, I mean, he switched perspective to the boatman. Right. So now we're getting, and I thought that was, was was interesting because we were getting the perspective of an outsider looking at this couple that's gone through this long journey, and I was interested by that. It, again, if this had been the, this had been the through line through the whole novel that the letting go of a of someone you've spent your life with can be very heart wrenching, and then that right. sort of brings together the whole how to actually remember and forgive as opposed to just forget. Right. All that could have been good. It just it just was. Knifed in the back, but I, I really like that, um, and I like the setting. Like you say, I like that that fable, that Arthurian thing. A lot of the reviews had a problem with that, but I like that's that's the one thing that I thought drew me to it. Right, it's almost like Ishiguro went out of his way to use yeah. characters that you haven't heard of, you know, Axel mm-hmm. or this dragon Keurig. But then he throws in Gowan, which is one of the most yeah the iconic iconic right, iconic knights in literature. Like, what do you make about make like? That? Well, that's that's a good question. It makes sense to me if Axel is Lancelot. If you're just but, kind of, but why aren't you? If you're going to call him Gowan, why not just call him Lancelot? But I'm saying if if Axel is Lancelot, right, and Gowan is Gowan, Lancelot is the one that betrayed Arthur, right? But right, but like, Gowan well, is the one that always stayed true. But why not just call him Lancelot if you're already going to call Gowan Gowan? Why not just why? Yeah, right, exactly. Have it be the parallel mm-hmm. for for, Lancelot. for Lancelot or call him you know Lance, Lance right? <laughs> right. Because I, I don't, I forget what like his his name when he was a, a knight was wasn't exactly Axel it was something like that. They they didn't nail it down or anything like that. But I mean that's the reason I I go to Lancelot. And I could be completely wrong about this, but um, just because of the betrayal and yeah. the fact that he calls Beatrice princess, it makes the whole sense. Time. I had never thought of it, but it makes sense um, because none of the other knights really betray Arthur in that way. Right. They all go on sort of. They all break off into errands. It's a very um, you know Jesus disciples. Sort of thing afterwards. Monty Python, Holy Grail. It is very, it is, yes, African swallows and European swallows, the yeah. whole thing. It's exactly that. I think, I think we could all learn a lot if we just watched more Monty Python. <laughs> well, I think we can agree on that, yes. That's absolutely something to agree on. Monty Python's probably a good place to It's a good place to stop. Yeah. Did you finish your jammer, your last I did. jammer? I think we're out of beer. We're out of beer. So that's, that's a, another good place oh, to end. That it. is the end. <laughs> okay. It must be the end if we're out of beer. Right.